Well, it really was a great 5K yesterday. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of laughter. Just our family comes together. It's an incredible time. I want to thank you participants, you guys who ran, walked, crawled. Uh, thank you volunteers who are cheering us on and stuff. like. It's the first race in all of my running career I ever came in first. I know, pretty exciting, huh? Uh, it was uh, an amazing feeling to cross the finish line alone. And uh, I, I do have to employ some scripture to make that claim. In Matthew twenty sixteen, it says, So the last will be first, <laughs> and the first will be last. First. First place. Yep. Mm-hmm. Today I'd like to begin a five-week series of messages called Summer Shorts. And uh, what I want to do over these next five weeks, then we're going to let Tony drive for a while, is uh, I want to do some shorter messages. Wait for the applause. Some shorter messages. <laughs> some topical messages. You know, something a little more restful and hopefully encouraging each week. Uh, today I want to talk about freedom, for example. I mean, it's kind of assigned by, to us by society to think about freedom this weekend. It's an amazing topic. Next week I want to talk about redemption. It's a word that has just uh, taken a whole new meaning for me uh, more recently, and I want to share some of that stuff with you. But so these will be shorter messages each week, and uh, I, I think part of my motivation for this is I, I feel like many of you need a break. Many of you need a break. A lot of you guys have been going to war with me, uh, not against me, but with me. And uh, you've been going to war. You've been, you've been drawing lines. And a lot of you guys, you know, that series that I just finished, A Better Way to Pray, the whole business about drawing circles and defending your turf on the kingdom of God and stuff, uh, that, there's a high cost to that. There's a high cost to that. And, you know, I'm a big fan of war movies, and I always notice that when these guys go off to war, they fight a while, then they come back for some R&R, right? They come, and even Jesus did that. Jesus would fight, then he'd withdraw, and he'd rest a bit. And uh, so uh, it's our turn to rest. It's our turn to rest. doesn't mean we're not going to continue to defend what's ours, and, and, but I just think that the church needs a breath, just needs a breath right now, and just to understand the goodness, the greatness of God, and just, just kind of rest in him. You need a rest, you need a break from the intensity of the war. You need uh, a break from the verbosity of my veracity. Let that settle in. And I think you need a, some of you need a break from your compulsion to learn every time you come to church. What is it with you outline people, you note takers? What do you do with this stuff when you're done? We make these outlines every week and you sit there waiting for the thing, waiting for the slide, and you fill it in. And do you like wallpaper your room with them? Or what, I mean, do you ever see these things again? God bless you but if you're an outline person, but, you know, we're not doing any for the next five weeks. Deal with it, all right? <laughs> Deal with it. Would you? I want to just ask everybody just to come. Would you just come, and would you just rest, kind of just rest in him while you're here? Just kind of take what, pick up what he's putting down and just, and just rest for a few weeks. Just re-energize. Refresh your soul, your spirit, your heart, your person. Okay? Jesus Christ came to set us free. Jesus Christ came. The reason he came was to set us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Read it with me, church. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has said, just for the very purpose of freedom. You were born to be free. You're made to be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This squares perfectly with the words of Jesus himself, who said in John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, did you hear that? To the Jews who had believed him, that the basis of what he's about to say is a matter of faith, of believing Christ. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Hang on to it. Hang on to the teaching of Jesus. Bring it into your life. He said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. These are words of Jesus. A few verses later, he said, oh, and by the way, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love that, don't you? And what he's meaning there, I believe, is he's saying the kind of freedom that Jesus has to bring to us is like no kind of freedom you can even conjure up in your mind. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Is there anybody in the room who needs to be released from something? Raise your hand. You want to get free of something? Just these seven over here? Liar, liar, pants on fire, all you guys over here. (laughs) You want to get set free from stuff? You want to live free? Well, then that's what we're after here. This passage in Galatians, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. It is just for the sake of freedom. Now, when Paul wrote this to the Galatians, he was talking to a bunch of people who had become very religious. They... They, they had met Christ as Gentiles. They were just, you know, tumbleweeds like us. They weren't born into the heritage of the Jewish tradition, Jewish life, Jewish race. They were just born like us. And they got the message of the gospel, and they received Christ. And they were living cool. They were living free, dynamic, free lives, powered by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit was flowing through them, the gifts of the Spirit. And then these people came along, they were called Judaizers. Those were people who were supposedly Christians now, but they had grown up as Jews. And they were really ticked off that these Gentiles had had this opportunity to be so free when they didn't have to do all the stuff they had to do growing up. I mean, those Jews, they, they had to go to, you know, all their schools, and they had to follow all the laws, and they had to do this. They had, they had to be circumcised. Ouch! Hello? And then Paul says, he says, you know, he says, none of that matters. He said, the reality is found in Christ. He says, so now you're free. And so when he said, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free, he was speaking against a tension of religion that was trying to come in and take over their freedom. Do you know what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross was not to invite you into a new religion, but it was to set you free from all religion. Did you know that? That may cause your head to blow up. What we do here is not religion. We don't even know how to be religious. If, if we had been a religion, none of this would have happened here this morning because we had a plan. We had a plan. Apparently God had a different plan. And God's plan is always... Religion says, oh no, we got this. Religion is the thing that man makes up when they get tired of waiting for God. But when God comes, why would you want anything else? And that's the freedom we're talking about. That's the freedom he's talking about. He says, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That this freedom is something that must always be defended. We know that as a nation, don't we? We know that if we don't defend our freedom, it will, it will evaporate. It will disappear. We know at very high price that we have to defend our freedom The same thing is true of us as individual and as individual believers that we get free. You've got to defend that. 
Because the enemy is clever in ways that he gets you to doubt whether that's really true. Could you really be that free? Are you really that forgiven? Is grace really that pervasive that you can now just be free? Answer is yes, but you have to defend it. Because left to ourselves, we will devolve back into religious people. I got a little secret for you. Being religious is easier than being free. You let somebody else make the rules for you, and you just do your best to follow them, check off the boxes, that's actually easier than living in the freedom of Christ. But when you taste from this well, you know there's no going back. There is no going back. But we have to protect it because we gravitate toward religion. My favorite law of thermodynamics is the second one. What's yours? Hello? Oh, West Side, that's right. Okay. There are four laws of thermodynamics. The first one is that matter can neither be, or energy can neither be destroyed or created. The second one is that in a system left to itself, it will, it will develop or undevelop toward disorder. It will fall apart, not come together. That's an observable law of physics. That if you leave it to itself, it falls apart. You know this. You have a garage, right? And left to itself... It just falls apart, right? You know that socket's in there somewhere, guys, right? You know, you know it's in there somewhere. It's under one of these piles, right? That's the second law of thermodynamics in play. Well, the second law of spiritual dynamics, just made that up, during the 9 o'clock service, is that left to ourselves, we will gravitate toward religion. And we have to protect our freedom. We have to grab it. And lay hold of it. I need to tell you that, from my point of view, the central purpose of the atonement is to provide true and lasting freedom. That at the epicenter of God's purposes for us as redeemed children is freedom. That's what he's doing. He wants to set us free. He doesn't want to bind us up. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. At the epicenter of the purpose of the atonement of Jesus is Freedom. You say, what's the atonement, Tom? Go ahead, ask me. I dare you. Glad you asked. When we use the word atonement, it's a church word that we use to talk about the nature of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That there was a brokenness. We're born broken and away from God. There's something wrong when we're born. We have a desire for God, yes, but we can't get there. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, there's one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Jesus Christ. That the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross, is the only solution to settle this that we have sin in our lives that we can't manage, we can't conquer, and we know that it's an offense to a holy God. All these things could run through our minds. We get that, and we say, what can be done? Well, what can be done was done for us on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's what he did is to provide an atonement for us, for our sins. And there are several different ways to look at the the, the atonement. I know we've covered some of this ground before, but I think it's so important because your personal understanding of the central purpose of the atonement, your personal understanding of what is central to the atonement, will determine how much freedom you have. Now, there are a lot of facets to the atonement, but that your personal view of the central purpose of the atonement will determine whether you become a free person in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, or whether you become a religious person. Does that make a little bit of sense? So I want, you to, I want you to think about what you understand to be at the center, at the center of the atonement. 
And I think you know that at the center of the Christian story is an epic struggle between God and Satan. Good news is, is God is infinitely greater than Satan, so there's going to come a day where he's going to be put under everyone's feet forever. That's the good news. So it's not a dualism, we understand that. But there's still a struggle. And we are caught as participants in the crossfire, aren't we? So we're born into some kind of a condition where this struggle is going on. And you're saying, you know, that doesn't really square very well with my postmodern, post-Christian mind. Well, you've got too many posts is your problem, okay? I understand that it's hard for us in this technological age to believe that there is a parallel reality going on in this room right now called the kingdom of God. I realize that's a struggle. I'll give you that. But what just happened here? If not a demonstration, a manifestation of the kingdom. Nobody worked this up. Nobody conjured it up. It just happened. So that's there. And in the midst of what's there is a struggle, is a war. And the atonement, the cross of Jesus Christ, is the victorious weaponry of the war. It's the, it's the weapon that won the war for us. And that thing is called the atonement. Let's do a quick comparison between the classic view of the atonement and the satisfaction theory. The classic view of the atonement is the, is the view of the atonement that focuses on the ransom aspect. It's sometimes called the ransom view. The ransom aspect. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a... Anybody know this? Yeah, ransom for many. This is going to drive you note takers crazy because we're going to do a comparison right now. You're like, I have to write something down. Too bad. A rescue from Satan's grip. That, at the, that the ransom that Jesus provided was to come in some kind of way that perhaps defies full explanation. Jesus Christ served as a ransom. We were born under the domination of Satan. We were born under the domination of original sin. We were born into that condition, and and we were prisoners to that. And Jesus Christ came and gave his life as a ransom for us. And that in doing that, we were what? Set free. We're like POWs out of the concentration camp. Yes, that's a good day. And so in this ransom view of the atonement, the heart of man has changed. Man's heart has changed. I want to ask you this. Was your, has your heart been changed either, either suddenly or gradually by your association with God through Son Jesus Christ? Mine sure has. This heart is not the same heart anymore. And so from this view, because of our association with God through Son Jesus context of the Word of God, power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are changed. In addition, this has really been the earliest understanding of the atonement. Really, it was the early church who forged this understanding of the atonement. And it remained the only real explanation for what Jesus did for us on the cross for more than a thousand years. For a thousand years. And the Greek Orthodox Church still understands this as what Jesus did for us. I like those Greeks. You ever get a chance to hang around some Greek Orthodox believers, man? Do that. It's a trip. But what happens on the ransom side is that it really results in freedom from religion. Because you're just free. So this isn't a religion we have. 
the only thing we're really agreeing to do is show up at the same time so we can celebrate together, right? And we have a plan which we've prayed about, thought about, considered, but it's really up for grabs. And that's not religious. That's just an agreement. Let's get together and celebrate, the God, celebrate God together, get under the word of God together, see what the Holy Spirit wants to do together, and then we'll see what happens. The satisfaction view, by comparison, really sees what Jesus did on the cross as a payment. And there is truth to this. Don't, don't go away thinking I don't believe this stuff. I'm asking you, what is your central view of the atonement? That, that the rescue is not from Satan's grip, but from God's wrath. Monica, are you writing? Put that pen down. Put that pen down or sit in the back right now. Put that pen down. You people are addicts. I, what is the matter? We have a group for you on Wednesday nights. Children. This is sometimes called the substitutionary atonement. For example, the scriptures do say that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's true. I'm not saying this isn't true. I'm just asking, is it central? You know, in this, God's heart is changed. That God has a heart of wrath toward us because of our sin, which offends him as a holy God. And so the perfect payment of Jesus, who is perfectly holy, changes his heart. So that while we were subject for, to condemnation because of our sin, a holy God, now that's changed. The heart of God is changed. I'm not saying that that's not true to an extent. I'm just saying, is it central? This was an 11th century development in the thinking of the church. It was until Anselm of Canterbury in the 11th century developed this view of the atonement. Why? Because the church was falling apart during the Middle Ages. And I want to tell you something, that this view of the atonement is something that you can hold over people's heads. More effectively, instead of telling people you're free, you're telling, God's really mad, but we found something that'll work for you. So come and receive this Christ, and then hold real close to us. We'll give you the elements. We'll be your priest. We'll be the administration of the sacrament to you. And so what happens is that it forms a basis for ongoing religion. You are free in Christ. You don't answer to me. I'm not your priest. I'd make a horrible priest. I'd be a terrible priest. I would listen to you in confession. I would think, oh, it sucks to be you, man. It sucks to be you. <laughs> seriously, didn't we talk about this last week? I don't understand. <laughs> I'd be horrible. I want you to look at these two sides of the atonement. Is the one on the right true? Absolutely. But is it central? Can you see how adopting this classic view of the atonement with the ransom being paid for you sets you free? Sets you free? This is the perfect... The Bible says it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. If you've ever been associated with evil, you know the answer to the question I'm about to ask. What is the one thing that evil wants to deprive you of the most? Your freedom, exactly. It picks at a lot of other things. But ultimately, it says, I've got a box for you. And some of you have been in tight boxes, haven't you? Jesus Christ comes, goes, boom. Welcome. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It says the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. This is the very purpose of Jesus Christ. 
I just love how it says where the Spirit of the Lord is. It's almost like it's, you know, where is a geography word. It's a location word. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Wherever the Spirit breaks out, there's freedom. There's not condemnation. There's freedom. You know this circle prayer stuff? You draw in a circle right there, and you step in. There's freedom in there, isn't there? I want to tell you, what this, this freedom land that you build, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom. And you, by faith, call in the kingdom, acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, put the cross over you, you stand under there, and there's freedom. There's freedom. Some of the greatest stories of history are those of people who were surrounded by evil and yet lived in a joyful freedom in the midst of it. I mean, Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corrie ten Boom, what did they do? In the midst of the evil, they were, they were captive to evil, and they essentially, in our words, drew circles and stood in it and said, you can't touch me here. You may be able to control my geography, my location, my movement, but you cannot control my participation in the kingdom of God. That's freedom. I'd like this morning to invite you to step into this kingdom realm as we share communion together. You can see that two tables in the front and two in the back, we've set up the communion tables. I want to invite you to come and participate in this amazing time of celebrating the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And uh, as you do, I want to invite you to do something if you care to. As you come to these tables, I'd like for you to envision yourself as a POW, just released, and you're coming to your first meal that is provided for you by the one who set you free. That you've been in incarceration, that you've been in captivity, and that while you were there and could not fight the war, somebody else fought it for you. And they fought it completely for you while you were helpless to be a participant in the war. You could only be a prisoner. Someone else fought that fight for you and won the battle and came and opened the gate and said, Come on! And as you come to these tables, I hope you'll just come going, Jesus is standing behind this table with that look of satisfaction on his face saying, Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter. I did this for you. Father in heaven, as we come to this time and we invite your presence, we invite your blessing, we invite your visitation on our worship. Lord, everybody in the room knows there's nothing I can do to pray over these elements and make them anything but crackers and juice. I don't have have anything to do with that. But I think we also know that as we come in faith, that somehow... As each of us comes to these tables in faith, somehow, some way, you make it as though it were the very broken body and shed blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for setting us free. We do not want to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We don't want to go back. I pray for more freedom, more freedom in the room, more freedom, freedom from condemnation, freedom, freedom to live as victorious believers dwelt by your word, filled with your spirit, doing what you're doing, just doing the things that we see you're doing. I thank you for every person here, Lord, no matter how near or far they may be from, from you and their, and their view, I just thank you for everyone here. And Lord, I just, I just pray that you'll inspire every person to come to these tables with a heart of desire for you. So we invite you to come, Lord. 
and to minister here your spirit among us in these elements. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we have two tables set up in the front and two in the back. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come in orderly fashion. And what I'd like you to do, whichever one's closest, you could just take a piece of the bread and a cup. And we're going to do a little different this morning. Instead of waiting for me to come back and we all do it together, I'd like for you to have your own encounter with the Lord. So just as I am in the band, just lead with some worship. You know, when you're ready, when you're ready, you'll know. You take the bread. You take the cup as what Jesus did for you to set you free. You might be sitting here going, well, can I come like it's my first time? I'm not a member. Let me ask you this question. Is your heart seeking God? I mean, I'm not I'm even asking you if you're a Christian. Do you want this? Do you want, if it's true, if what I'm saying is even true, do you want this? And these are my, not my tables to hold you back from. These tables are the Lord's. And if you're feeling, I want this, you come just like the rest of us. Praise you, Lord. You are the one who washes away all of our sins, Lord. You're the one who sets us free from our past, from our present, and keep us free in the future. You are the one who comes and visits wherever two or more are gathered in your name. You are the one who has been gracious to be here among us today, Lord to honor yourself by the desperate prayers of your children. And we come to you this morning really just grateful, Father, for the freedoms that we do enjoy in this nation, freedoms that we enjoy as a body of believers here in this place. And Father, we just uh, oppose the enemy on every front that he wants to bring, bring anything against us to take away our freedom. And we just continue to live under the dominion of the cross. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. We bless your name. I feel like there might be some people here this morning who were expecting me or hoping me to say, hoping that I would say something about the Supreme Court decision that was made validating same-sex marriages in all 50 states. And I understand how many of you would be struck with that and hoping for a word from me. Um, My word is that nothing has changed here. My word is that the Supreme Court will not tell us what we believe or what we will do. Do not, do not, please do not clap your hands because of what I'm going to say next. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And if it is a requirement to be a perfect person without flaw, without sin, you need a new pastor. This church is a church with an open door, a broad door, and we love every person that comes in, no matter what they're bringing with them. That's why you're here. That, you can clap at that if you want, but that's why you're here. We will not be changing our wedding policy, no matter what the consequences, but we will love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength any person, every person who ever walks through that door. Now go walk in your freedom. God bless you guys.